0: our heavenly father we give you our praise for the gift of this opportunity of worship for the gracious words wrought out of suffering which that songwriter put down and which our choir has sung so beautifully today help us to know your love in the deepest fullest measure and to know that that love can take us through all kinds of suffering and heartache and hardship. We thank you that earth has no sorrow, that heaven cannot heal. We pray that you will take the gifts which we give this day and superintend their use and grant that they may bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. And now make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts to be acceptable in thy sight O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The scripture reading you have for the New Testament lesson, by the way, we're going to try to go back to our former way of reading both an Old Testament and le- New Testament lesson. The one that corresponded today in the Old Testament was the account of Naaman. <clears throat> the wonderful lesson which chick gave to us a moment ago i'm not much on women preachers but i started to tell her to go on it was, <laughs> it was very good uh jack kemp the other night i don't know if you watch uh, public television debates but i've been fascinated with politics all my life <clears throat> and i was watching uh, a debate uh at the at old miss uh where distinguished people henry kissinger and uh, Jack Kemp, the Secretary of uh, Housing and Urban Development and other dignitaries, were engaged in a debate about free trade with uh, Mexico, and Jack Kemp's time came to get up. And uh, Kemp, of course, is a wonderful Christian man, and he said that he had been to Sunday school with his little four-year-old grandson uh, recently, And he said that when he was walked in, the teacher had whispered to the grandson to introduce her grandfather to the Sunday school class. And uh, so he introduced his grandfather by saying he is a great public serpent (laughs) instead of servant. And I thought about that this morning when we were getting some of the answers here about prayer. Look at John chapter 5. John chapter 5. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. By the way, that's where your Bethesda Naval Hospital, where Richard was either born or treated or something good happened to Uh, him. Richard was there, Bethesda. Uh, It means house of healing. Our house of mercy. <clears throat> now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos, in these multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, withered. Many authorities now look at your footnote: Many authorities insert, holy, or in part, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at a certain season into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever then first after the stirring up of the water stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. And a certain man was there who had been 38 years in his sickness. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition He said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. It was the Sabbath on that day. Therefore the Jews were saying to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your pallet and walk? But he who was healed did not know who it was for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well and for this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is a very important passage of scripture. It's important because it asserts completely the deity of Jesus Christ. He is uniquely God's son, one with God. It always has been a mystery to me why anyone would have ever gone to the trouble to kill Jesus if he had been like the liberals described him, uh, not the Son of God. But this is precisely why the Pharisees wished to kill him, because he made himself equal with God, and because his enemies wanted to kill him for that reason. Now then, back to the text. When we're sick, as this week Richard alluded to a moment ago, and I thank him for his prayer, Uh, I've been in the doctor's office most of the week uh, at one time or another. And a funny thing happened the other day. I had to be at Dr. Maitland's because of a, 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 an infection that's been very troublesome to get rid of and a fever that goes with it and a good bit of pain. They thought it was a kidney stone. You know what they found? They found some buckshot from a goose I'd eaten last year. <laughs> and uh, uh, anyway, while I was sitting there waiting, and I had to go over there and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And there were two, uh, I can tell when people have got money by the way they dress. This lady had a diamond as big as a coconut on (laughs) one hand, an old lady in in very expensive clothing, but she was quite deaf, and she had a lady with her, and they were evidently down from either Hound Ears or Grandfather Mountain, and had been uh, down, told by the doctor there to come into Asheville to see the uh, specialist there, and they were sitting in this office. Now, in a urologist's office, always tries to whisper to each other. And this thing was packed full. And uh, one of them said she had an appointment with Dr. She called him Dr. Bitters. His name is Dr. Bitter. She said, he must be making a pile. Look at all these people. And you could hear her all over the office. (laughs) And then the other one said, who is that fat man? He got up here, but he was in here after we were. (laughs) And then uh, you heard the different things that were being said, and one of them said, I believe men have as much trouble wrong with them as we do, and uh, all this kind of conversation was going on. What they couldn't understand was the fact that everybody else was listening to it, and the people in the room were all twittering and uh, laughing at what was being said. Well, a place of healing congregates a large number of people who suffer. And when they are suffering, they reach out for help desperately. One of the great tragedies in the history of our modern world has been what happened to Russia. A hemophiliac boy, a boy born without the chemical in his blood that would cause clotting, who, when he received a bruise, would bleed inside or profusely, was the son of Tsar Nicholas II. And the Tsaritsa, in wanting that little boy to be healed of his hemophilia, so desperately resorted to a charlatan, a quack healer, whose name was Rasputin, who, uh, uh, what's called a staritz. A staritz is a, a holy man in, in Russia. And this man claimed to be able to heal uh, Alexei. Alexei mustn't run and mustn't climb, must be careful all the time, because he couldn't stand to have a bruise. And so the Tsaritsa, in her extremity, when the doctors had told her that there was nothing that could be done for hemophilia, resorts to Rasputin. Rasputin comes to the court, and he begins to exert powers far beyond what he should have been able to Uh, exert in the government of Russia and Russia suffers terribly. Millions of people die literally because that woman wanted healing for her little boy so bad but she sought it in the wrong place and there was a lot of mistakes that took place. There's a brand new book out I've got it back in my office. Uh, My wife and I steal it from each other. I have read it all the way through and have gone back to check several parts, in it. it's called The Last Tsar. Now I'm like uh, some of my friends, I really believe that Ingrid Bergman is Anastasia. And and, uh, uh, if you read this book, uh, since Glossnost has been introduced into Russia, they have access to documents that have hitherto been kept state secrets, and you'll be able to read a lot of very fascinating things. It's It's a thrilling book to read. But the thing that impressed me the most about reading this book is the fact that these people were people of prayer, that they often read prayer, but what did they expect? Did they expect the right thing? Were they willing to accept something different from what their will was, or did they want so desperately to impose upon God what they wanted that they wouldn't take his way? the Tsar and his entire family were slaughtered, shot. The children, the servants, the Tsar, the Tsaritsa, when they were shot down mercilessly, the last words that they were saying were, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. The little boy who was the hemophiliac was lifting his hands to make the uh, sign of the cross When bullets went through his hands. Now what happens in this type of cruelty? What do you expect? God does not always answer our prayers in the manner in which we want them answered, but he does bring an answer and he brings that which is the very best for us when we're in his will. The Old Testament lesson showed us a man who was a general of incomparable skill and power and authority, who had won battle after battle after battle, who was great and famous in the eyes of all of his people, but he had leprosy. This year I'm to be the speaker at the meeting of the American Leprosy uh, Convention. And leprosy, just the words for years have been words of terror. I have visited in a leprosarium in Thailand and in India and in Africa. And anyone who has ever been to one, anyone who has ever seen the suffering that exists there, even though now much can be done to bring about healing and nowhere near the horror that used to be uh, attached to it is there, but it still is awful. And in Naaman's time, especially awful. And when we see the little children, what can little children do? To serve the King of Heaven. They can do what this little girl did. She witnessed about her faith in the prophet Elisha. And she said to her mistress, she had been taken away as a little slave girl, and she said to her mistress, would that my master would go and see Elisha, our prophet, because he could bring healing to him. This was what uh, he wanted to get across. She wanted to get across to him. And you know, that was a great testimony. Look what takes place. Naaman is told by Elisha when he comes with all of his chariots, his changes of raiment, his extravagant and elaborate and gorgeous gifts to the door of the prophet's house, that Naaman, the general, is there. If you've ever been around generals, they expect a lot of deference. And he expected Elisha to come out and to do some spectacular thing and to affect his healing. And all Elisha did was send his servant out to tell him to go dip in the Jordan seven times. He didn't expect that. And he said, Are not Abina and Farfar, the rivers that are in Damascus, greater than all of these rivers? And he was furious, and in a rage he was ready to leave. And he would have left, had it not been for the good sense of a servant who went to him and said, Oh, my master, if he had asked you to do some big thing, you would have done it. You want to be well so much. He's asked you to do a very little thing. Why don't you do that? And then he went, and he dipped seven times. And the seventh time, the miracle was performed, and he was cleansed. Now by the time Jesus had come to this place where all these sick people were at the pool, all of them hoping and praying for some type of healing knowing that there was an agitation a disturbance of the water that came and somehow they felt that associated with this like Lourdes in France and the song of Bernadette that there would be some healing that would take place and so the people in their pitiful condition had all gathered there and Jesus surveyed this crowd of people And of all of that group, he saw this man who had been 38 years. 38 years, as Chick said, is a long, long time. And Jesus picks him out, the most hopeless, helpless, hapless person in the entire group. And he looks to him. Now let me explain the footnote just a little bit about the angel troubling the water. I asked my favorite New Testament scholar about this, and he told me, he said, explain it to your people by saying this, that the manuscript evidence in the New Testament for which all of the doctrines of the Christian faith are held, none of them depend upon a disputed manuscript, but there are many, many copies. And at the time of Constantine, there were, Uh, Constantine made religion the official religion at that time, so he allowed a lot of monasteries to make copies. And copyists would sometimes include in their copy of the scriptures a note that might be an explanatory note, kind of like a a Scofield reference Bible or a NIV study Bible or some study Bible, and once in a while these notes would creep into the text of scripture and so that creeps in at this point. I, I can still, as the little boy going to a colored church and hearing a wonderful wonderful Negro spiritual called Wade in the water children, Wade in the water children, God's going to trouble the water. Well the word there for trouble is disturbance. Now we've just seen a hurricane and we've heard the weatherman down in Coral Gables tell us when it got graded down to a tropical disturbance. Well, this water was disturbance. There was a disturbance that occurred. Connected with it, there was a, a faith. And here, some healings had taken place. And Jesus goes to these place, this place, knowing that many of these people may be superstitious But the wonderful thing about Jesus is that he will help even superstitious people. I used to think it was smart to make fun of people who were Roman Catholics uh, for some of the things that they did. And some of them really aren't reasonable. uh, But I don't do that anymore. And I'll tell you why. You remember that woman that sneaked up through the crowd and reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment? She was superstitious. She thought if she could just touch the hem of his garment that she would be healed. She did and she was healed. Now Jesus called her out and explained to her what had taken place and how that healing had come about. So Jesus is not bound by what we think may be nice and what we may want done. He'll do the miracles the way he wants to do them. And so this man... Uh, when Jesus looks and sees him in this pitiful condition and knew that he had been that way for all those 38 years, Jesus said to him, do you want to get well? Now one trick that psychiatrists use is to try to distract you from thinking. They want to see how obsessed you are by something, that it just keeps obsessing you and you can't think about anything else. He said to him, do you want to get well? And he didn't even answer the question. All he said was, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. He's what I call a whino. He's a whiner. Uh, He said, I don't have anyone to put me in the water when it's stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone else gets in front of me and steps down before me. And Jesus said, arise, take up your bed, walk. And immediately, the man became well. He took up his pallet, and he walked. I think he must have been in shock. He thought, is that all there is to it? Why, I thought he would do some big deal. You know, he might have been thinking, the day that I get healed, they're going to come here, and all four friends will come with a white, uh, special built thing, and, Everybody will surround me and the bubbles will all come up at the right time and then I'll go down into the pool and then I'll in this grand way and people will stand outside and I'll give my testimony and they'll ask for my autograph and I'll write a book on how I was healed at the pool of Bethesda uh, and that'll be it. But God doesn't always do things the way we want them done. Jesus just said, get up, get up, walk. And the guy got up and he walked after 38 years. Now then, look at the point about the Jews. i got to hurry through this. He who was healed didn't even know who Jesus was. Isn't that something? He didn't even know who Jesus was. And Jesus healed him. And Jesus, when he had healed this man, that created quite a crowd, so Jesus slipped out of the crowd. This is grace. Why God touches one and doesn't touch another, I don't know. But Jesus slipped out of the crowd, and afterwards he found that man in the temple. And he said, Behold you, become well, do not sin any more, worse, nothing worse may befall you. Now I don't know the mystery that lies behind why he said that. But I do know that sometimes there is connected with illness a lesson, a chastening, that God may be bringing to us. Then the man went away and told the Jews. That seems like an ungrateful thing to do. I wonder if he went to tell the Jews uh, and that showed some sort of character flaw that might have been the reason for the type of chastisement that had befallen him, or whether he wanted to go and say, Jesus is the one who healed me. Why don't you go and talk to him? Maybe he can heal some more people. There's some mystery involved here that we can't find a full explanation for. But we do know the reaction of the Jews. The Jews were angry because the man was healed on the Sabbath day. Now, they were so strict about the Sabbath that they had a lot of laws that dealt with it. It was a big decision for the rabbis to determine what it was legal to eat an egg that was laid on the Sabbath. And when you go to the store, it's pretty hard to find out uh, by looking at an egg whether it was laid on the Sabbath or not. Uh, they didn't know whether a woman, uh, they had to argue for a while, a woman in labor who gave birth on the Sabbath. We call that labor. There's a tremendous amount of muscle exertion and a, a, a lot of strain that goes there. But you know what their answer to that was? Kind of interesting. It says that's creative power. The grass doesn't quit growing on the Sabbath. The trees don't quit growing on the Sabbath. The grain fields don't quit growing on the Sabbath. So that's creative. God is, is creating. That's what Jesus is saying here. My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. He is healing. He called God his father. Now he gets them angry at him on two counts. One is that he healed the man and told him to take up the bed and walk. Now, why did he tell him to take up that bed and walk? That was was the symbol of defeat for him, that pallet. And to see that man walking away carrying that pallet, and everyone would look at him and see him going by carrying that pallet. And they said, boy, that's really tremendous. That guy's well. He's carrying an old pallet he'd been laying on for years at the Pool of Bethesda. I went through a pain management program at the Mayo Clinic one time, and they had a very unusual little museum attached to that floor in which I went through that pain program. You know what it was, they had all kind of braces and all kind of uh, crutches of every description and wheelchairs and different things that were in there that they had left, that people had come there, gone through the pain management program, and had learned to uh, manage their pain in such a way that they didn't need these things anymore, and they'd left. And they showed you that to prove to it that you could take more than you thought you could. This is saying, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. And for this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he called God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Now then, what would you have to leave to your children that would be the most precious thing to leave to them? It's not just healing, all of us will get sick and die of something. Something will get us all one day. This is a little book that the other night at prayer meeting, David Seal, our beloved surgeon in this congregation who served the Jesus Hospital out in Korea for years and now serves Christ working at the VA hospital here and is an elder in our church and singing in our choir and He brought this to me the other night because Christy Wilson, the man who wrote this book, is going to be our missionary speaker in just a few weeks. Christy Wilson was in a DC-3 in 1955 that was lost trying to get into Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan. Afghanistan. The pilots could not figure out where they were. When he peered out the window of the airplane, that DC-3, all they could see was those horrible, ragged, wild forests of Central Asia. Knowing that their fuel was running out, that they were almost certain to crash in the storm, What would you do? Let me tell you what kind of man we're going to have here. He took his Bible out. I returned to my seat. I began to pray. I placed the 15 people on the plane in God's hands. Then I pulled my Bible from my briefcase, and I wrote this note on the inside of the front cover. Dearest Betty, Nancy, Christy, and Martin. Our pilots have lost their way, and it appears that we will crash. I am writing this farewell message in case my Bible is found in the wreckage. I love you more than words can tell. Put Jesus first throughout your life and serve him faithfully in every way you can. I look forward to seeing you again soon in heaven, your loving husband and dad, Christy. That's what God can do. He can give you a faith that can overcome all manner of sickness and distress. And what the hymn said a while ago is still true, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Let us conclude our worship, and those of you who are members of the church, remain for the congregational meeting. The others are free to leave. Soldiers of Christ, arise. The 362nd hymn.